Good evening, Oldham Lane. It's good to be here uh, on, the, on this Sunday night. Special welcome, as Jim said earlier, to all those who are visiting us, uh, whether it's first time or many times that you've been here. This is a great place to work in the kingdom, and I'm just glad to, to be a part of it here at Oldham Lane. We're, we're always gathered. When we gather together, we're gathered together. Praise our Lord Jesus Christ. But remember, um, I'm the one thing standing in between you and a, and, a, and a good potluck meal. So if you are ready to, uh, if, you, if you were able to stick around with us afterwards, uh, then we'd, gr- we'd love to have you and to fellowship with you uh, as, we, as we welcome the Mayfields into our congregation and to, as we continue to uh, our fellowship with one another. Tonight, uh, I wanted to delve into a topic. Uh, I called it, Their Eyes Were Opened. Uh, did, did you know some things about our eyes? They're, they're some of the most complex organs that we have apart from our brains. They are remarkable. It, there's over two million working parts in, in each of our eyes. They are, they are they're truly uh, a complex system. They can process over 36,000 bits of information every hour. Uh, under, the right, under the right conditions, they can discern light of a single candle at a distance of 14 miles away. They contribute over 80% of, of the memories that we have. And, and they utilize over 65% of all the pathways into our brain. And in a normal lifespan, you're going to process about 24 million different images of the world around you. It's a lot to, to take in. Yet as fascinating as these facts are, our sermon today is not about our physical eyes because they do a lot, but our spiritual eyes can be much more discerning. It's about choosing every day to see through our spiritual lenses rather than through the, rather than through the temporal. It's about opening our eyes to the profound truths God has laid out for us in his word. We live in a world that often values the temporary over the eternal, the seen over the unseen. But as followers of Christ, we are called to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is temporary, for what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. We are called to look towards the eternal and not towards the, not towards the temporary and the choices that we make. We are called to operate with our spiritual eyes open to see God's provision, his protection, and his presence. As we look into this topic tonight, uh, I'm going to call you to have your spiritual eyes that they will be open throughout this upcoming week and beyond. That you, look, that you learn to look in, not at the physical and look beyond that, but to, into the spiritual realm. Uh, and also that you learn to discern the light of Christ, the true light that gives light to everyone. And that, let that light fill our lives and guide our paths. The story we're going to look at tonight is from the book of Numbers where the Israelites who are led by Moses set out from Mount Hor. They take the route from the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. Let's take a moment to read through that story. Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4 through verse 9. For Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the 
spoke against God, against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take the serpents away from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The people became impatient. That's a weird way to start, the, to start out in this, in this story. The Israelites who were led by Moses had set out from Mount Hor. They took the route uh, to the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. Their journey was hard and the people grew impatient. They began to question God and Moses, lamenting their fate. They asked why they had been brought out of Egypt only to die in the wilderness, where there was no food or water, and they expressed their disdain for the meager sustenance that they had. They were in the midst, just earlier in this chapter, they were in the midst of battles, and, they, and God was giving them the victory. But yet they became impatient. They could see daily how God was providing for them, and yet they became impatient and, and complained to God. Now, this was, if you read through Exodus and Numbers, the 14th time, documented time at least, that, that Israel had complained against God. Five times they complained before the giving of the law, and, and God provided for them in the midst of that because he was setting things still in order, this such as when they complained that they had no food and he gave them manna. He compla they complained that they had no water and water came out from the rock. They complained, they complained that all they had was manna and he sent quail to them on a daily basis. But after that, there was nine different times that, that Numbers and Exodus record that they, that they complained and nine different times that they were punished. And this was the final time, final documented time, uh, that, they, that they complained while in the desert. But it wasn't just that they were complaining about it. They, did, they weren't like mumbling to each other. We're, we're commanded not even to do that. We're, com we're commanded to be uh, content with what we have. But they were complaining against God. They didn't say, they didn't say, I don't have this. They said, God, you did this. You are not providing this for us. They were complaining against God. And they were saying this even after this time they had already been in the desert. And they couldn't see the providence of God. They would have rather trusted in the gods of Egypt than, than the God they had cried out to in the midst of their slavery and oppression. Just a few short years before this, they had, they had cried out to God to deliver them uh, from, from the oppression of Pharaoh. And yet they wanted to go back. They would have rather died making bricks for that Pharaoh than to die in the wilderness. They would rather eat the storehouses of Egypt than to eat this food that they loathe that is being provided by the presence of God. But what were they really complaining about? 
I would, I would say that, they are, that what they were complaining about was that their vision was that they couldn't see, that they refused to see with spiritual eyes over and over again. And even though God had seen them this far, they could not by faith promise land. When the 12 spies went into Canaan in Numbers chapter 13, they brought back a report of a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But what they saw was that they were like grasshoppers compared to them, that they were going to be crushed by this army, even though just a few short years earlier, they had taken out the army in the world because of the power of God. They could not see that God was fighting in their midst. Even at the beginning of Numbers chapter 21, it specifically stated that God was fighting their battles for them. And they within their own control to be able to go into the land of Canaan. When they were in the midst of those nations around them, they failed to see the provision of God. Instead of seeing how they were brought up out of the oppressive nation of Egypt, who was using them as slave labor so that the Israelites wouldn't get mighty, they saw themselves as dying in the wilderness rather than the flourishing that they were. Instead of seeing how they were provided with everything they needed without even, without even having to work for it, they complained about this worthless food. Exodus 16 tells how fresh manna was on the ground every morning. And every evening, quail came and covered the camp. All they had to do was go out and gather, and they were provided with more than enough to eat. Instead of seeing the promise of God, they became impatient and thought that God had forgotten them. Their lack of spiritual vision caught them looking only at their circumstances and not looking for the provision of God. And we think, how could they do that? How could they, how could they not trust in God when, they, when God has been that gracious to them? But do we not do the same thing? Do we, do we forget to look at our own spiritual uh, blessings that come how God blesses us over and over again he provides protection from for us he provides, puts a hedge of protection around us and yet we we look and say God I want it and I want it now grant me patience and grant it now he want he wants to bless us and he and he wants to do that but he wants us to be, he wants to be that source. He doesn't want it to come from our own power. He wants us to be able to trust in him. And with the Israelites, in this circumstance, God sent fiery serpents at, during this time. The word, is, the word for the serpents here is seraph, or seraph. That's so the same root word as seraphim, which probably means, which reminds us of the angels that there, which probably means they were cobras with their like their hood uh, wing not a not a magical serpent but all of a sudden cobras are in the midst of the camp and those cobras they bit the people and many were dying as a result of it and they repented at all about God made them reliant on him to heal them 
verse 8 says, when he sees it, then he shall live. Their physical eyes need to be pointed towards the spiritual solution. There was no magic in this bronze snake, though. This snake was a call uh, of remembrance for the people, that they should trust in the Lord. When they are bitten or afflicted, then they needed to look to God. They need to turn towards that snake and remember how he is the one who saved, not, uh, and not themselves. Now, 2 Kings chapter 18 tells of forgotten that this was a symbol of remembrance, uh, of the protection of God, and they began to worship the pole rather than the creator. And so Hezekiah broke that uh, broke the serpent that Moses made because they had been burning incense to it. But this call is for us every day to remember that God is the source of that. Now, the bronze serpent is also referenced in the New Testament when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the, in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is trying to, throughout this chapter 3, Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus that the different, what the difference is between spiritual and earthly things. He explains about being born again. And Nicodemus just can't understand. So he uses an analogy by, by talking about the, the movements of those that are born again, that it's like, the, it's like the motion of the wind. You see the evidence of it, even though you don't know that it's actually there. Jesus then tells Nicodemus that he is the one that came to bear witness to all the things that he has seen since the beginning of creation. And how can he see what's going on except for his faith and his ability to see the unseen. Jesus, according to, according to Hebrews 11, says that he, Hebrews 12, that he was the author and perfecter of our faith. And in chapter 11, it defines faith as the conviction of things not seen. He's seen the unseen because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And he was trying to get this teacher of Israel, this Pharisee, to see how to see, not with the physical eyes, but to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus, the Son of Man, as prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, was being given dominion, not of a kingdom of the world, but a spiritual kingdom. But then at the end, he turns to a seemingly unrelated story of Jesus and the bronze serpent. And he explains the connection and how that story relates to us. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, here's how it connects. The Israelites had a death problem. When they were bitten by the snakes, they died. And God gave them a solution that caused them to rely on him to cause them to rely on him and look to him as the solution and not not look for their own solution 
but to remember God in the midst of that. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that you have a death problem here on earth. Paul says in Romans that the wages of sin are death and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have a death problem here because we are, we are dead in our, to our old ways. We are dead because of sin. But God, God gave the solution in Jesus Christ. He says that he's the one that has to be lifted up and that we're to look to him as the solution. He can't be good enough. We cannot earn our way to, to salvation. We cannot pay the debt back that sin causes to us. Only by relying on Jesus can we do this. And you can't have an earthly uh, solution to this spiritual problem. You can work all you want, but your work is in vain to this problem unless you seek him with all your heart. We try to fill a God-sized hole that's in our heart with so many things, with idols, with friends, with distractions, but only God can fill that hole through Jesus Christ, and he longs to be what you are searching for. So how do we, how do we allow our, how do we place? Let's look at two different stories real quick as we finish out. Genesis chapter 3 is the first one I'm going to look at about, their, about looking at spiritual lenses versus temporal. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, this is the story of the fall of man. In, in verse 6, And the woman saw was for food, the light to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what filled the eyes of Eve when the serpent tempted her to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What she saw was the only thing that was off limits in the Garden of Eden. And what it specifically says in Scripture that she saw was that it was three things. It was good for food that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What was she looking at in the midst of this? Was she looking at eternity and the ramifications of eating of this? No, she was looking at her physical limitations. She was looking through, she failed to use spiritual vision and listen to the voice of the serpent. She partook of a physical thing to become more spiritual. She partook of this so that she could become like God. That's what the, serp, that's what the serpent told her said that you surely will not die. He changed the words around. He says, you will be like God. She was trying to gain eternity through a physical thing. But instead of seeing the spiritual, what did they see? Their eyes were opened and they saw that they were, saw the physical instead. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree that was forbidden, their eyes were opened, but it was their physical eyes that were opened. It was a physical thing. Forbidden fruit does not lead to spiritual things. Choosing to seek after the things of this world will not lead you to make spirit-filled decisions. So let's look at a different story. Luke chapter 24. Uh, this is after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And uh, they've already discovered that the grave is empty. But two disciples were walking on a seven-mile trek over to Emmaus. And as they were walking along, this stranger joined along the side of them. 
and they talked about the things that had, that had come to them over the last week, the things that had been happening over this last week. And they, they told the stranger all about Jesus. And, when they, and then the stranger started talking back to them and started explaining to them Moses and the prophets, and this was the fulfillment of everything that, it, that had been meaning to happen. But then they come to the end of the day, and at the end of the day, they're sitting there, and they are, they're, they're about to go on. Uh, the stranger's about to go on, and they're about to, to stop for the night. And uh, they said, come on and eat with us. So in verse 30, where we pick up, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Jesus dined with his disciples after walking on the road to Emmaus, but they didn't recognize him. But notice how they, how they got to this point. Their eyes were opened, and when their eyes were opened, what did they see? They all of a sudden recognized Jesus. Now, that means that there, there's some different ramifications with that because they didn't recognize him at first. But I think it was with their spiritual eyes that they finally realized this person that was walking alongside of us was Jesus. And they, but what did they do all along the way? While on the road, they discussed the events of the last week and how Jesus had fulfilled the scriptures uh, from Moses and the prophets. Their conversation was flavored with talk of Jesus and the scriptures, and not just for a moment, but the entire day's walk. And when they got to where they were going, what did they do? They extended hospitality and kindness. And when they broke bread with Jesus and, and he blessed it, their eyes were open. They finally recognized it was Jesus resurrected with them the entire time. So this is the contrast of two different ways that we can be filled. First one is to be filled with fear. When you're filled with fear, the way you do that is allow yourself to covet after things of this world. To, to allow yourself to listen to the voice of the, of the world. To look at things without the eyeglasses of faith in the word of God and then partake of what is forbidden. And when you do this, you're always going to find yourself lacking because that leads you to fear. And how do we, and because what did, what did they see when they were walking in the garden with God and they were, and they were afraid? They were afraid because they, they saw their own nakedness in the midst of God. But the things of this world, they, aren't, they will never fill you. The things of this world will leave you with fear and never fill you with faith. They look good. They look like they might give you some good things. But they are always going to come out lacking. Now, the opposite side of that, if we look at this story of the, of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, what did they do to be filled with faith and to have their spiritual eyes opened? If we look at them, they, they were surrounding themselves with fellow believers. They weren't alone in the midst of this. They were with, they were with other disciples. They, they flavored their conversation with things concerning Jesus and the scriptures. Rather than talking about the football playoffs, they were, they were, talking, about the, they were talking about what was happening with the scriptures, what was, what was going on in the church at the time. And then they talked, and then they, they listened to, to that for the entire trip. They hungered and thirsted after righteousness. They showed kindness and hospitality to the stranger, and they filled their lives with prayer. And when you do all of that, you're going to find exactly what you're looking for. Because if you, are, if you are in that type of mindset, you are looking for faith because you're hungering and thirsting after, after righteousness. 
as they, and the disciples displayed this because as they walked down the road, the disciples' hearts, they were burning with anticipation is what it uses. Did their hearts not, their hearts not burn as he talked to us about the, about, about the moat, about the scriptures? And when they found Jesus, they couldn't wait to tell others. They didn't wait till the next morning to tell others about it. They went at that very hour for the seven-mile trek back to Jerusalem at night to tell the others about what they had just seen. Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Are you satisfied because your hunger and thirst is for spiritual things? Are your eyes opened and seeking the only one who can solve your death problem? If not, Jesus is calling you today and wants to be your Savior. We can study with you and show you how to believe in the one who was first born from the dead. To repent of your past because you want to follow after him. You want to be his disciple. To confess that he is Jesus the Christ and Messiah, your Lord and Savior. To go down into the watery grave of baptism to be arisen new with him and to live your life as one of his disciples. If we can tell you more about that, we'd love to do that tonight. If we can pray with you and for you in any manner, this is that opportunity that you have to come now as we stand and sing.